I want to just invite you to share with me in a time of reflection uh, about this very special day. And I'm aware as I talk about this today that uh, uh, many times the, uh, the real truth of the life of the unborn has become obscured in the national arguments and fights over abortion policy. And on Sanctity of Life Sunday, uh, especially of all times, um, we have had the opportunity year after year to re be reminded in congregational life of, of the truth of the sanctity of life. And yet, for many people today, the issue of the life of the unborn baby is uh, still not clear and um, in a focused way for people to understand why, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we are, of all people, our love for the gift of life is preeminent. And, of course, in the scriptures, when we look at the truth of the sanctity of human life, um, we see a very rich and um, dignified way that God has endowed in every single individual the, um, the gift of life and the impact that that simple fact, as our creator designing every human being, designing the plan for humanity so that from the very moment of conception, an individual human being is created of whom there has never been one like them, a unique individual in all of time and eternity, and that uh, the eternal value God places on each individual in many ways is crystallized in what we will see in Scripture about uh, the sanctity of life. Now, I have an update now from Ian that, um, that we can switch to that live stream. So it, it, he says it does seem to be working now, and uh, that affects us today in a little different way than what I'm sharing because I would like for everyone to be able to uh, track a little bit along here. We have a video at the conclusion that wraps up and summarizes what I'm talking about here today. So uh, a bit sight unseen with my camera, I'm going to proceed through what I want to share with you on this January 22nd of 2023. Now, I thought about this day um, for the reason that is obvious, that it is the 50th anniversary of the most uh, significant violation of human value uh, that has ever occurred in our federal court systems. Uh, we might think of January 22nd of 1973, 50 years ago today, as a, a, a landmark of horrific sadness. Um, if uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt called uh, Pearl Harbor invasion in 1941 the day that will live in infamy, uh, we could certainly call January 22nd, 1973, a day that lives in judicial infamy. And in the aftermath last summer, of the um, historic Dobbs decision by which the Supreme Court at long last overturned Roe versus Wade, you would think from some of the shrieking and screeching of the opponents to that decision, um, some of the 
um, outright assault upon the value of, of the individual baby by virtue of elevating the thought of reproductive health to a point that it misunderstands the, the value of the personhood of the baby that is being carried in every mom's womb. So this is a, an area where, as we all know, the noise is at, at high decibel levels in terms of the way many people scream about the issue uh, that is put under the category of reproductive health. But of course, when we go into the Word of God, we see that um, a very simple way to summarize the way that this is often misunderstood is to simply say that when people talk about the uh, Dobbs decision implying that it somehow stole rights from women, in fact, what it really did was it restored under the judicial system, under our constitutional form of government, the preeminent right to life of the unborn, and by sending the political decision back to the states, which is another whole battle in and of itself, um, the reversal of Roe versus Wade, in essence, righted a terrible wrong. Now, that doesn't change the fact that people are going to scream and fight about it um, on and on and on and on. But today, I wanted to invite you, uh, followers of Jesus, lovers of the Lord, uh, to look into the Word of God and think a little bit about this profound issue, and especially on this 50th anniversary of the worst decision in all of Supreme Court history that, in effect, nullified through raw judicial power, in effect, that decision 50 years ago, uh, which held for 49 and a half years, uh, effectively vacated the inherent right to life of all unborn human beings. It is a further injustice that the Roe versus Wade decision itself was based on a fraud. It was based on the notion of the plaintiff being having been a victim of rape, and it turned out later that she was not. And there were more aspects of how that decision came down in 1973 that proved to be uh, particularly um, grievous in terms of even distorting the nature of the judicial process. And probably the most significant, or I would think of it as a bit of a summary of the problems of Roe versus Wade, is found in, in an explanation that one of the Supreme Court justices made after that decision came down in which the state laws that had protected unborn babies of various types in various states were all struck down with one uh, judicial act, uh, act of judicial fiat. One of the writers of that decision referred to their reasoning um, in a way that is particularly telling today. Of course, there was no so-called right to a woman to kill her unborn baby anywhere in the United States Constitution. That's plainly obvious. And the right to life enshrined earlier prior to the Constitution and our Declaration of Independence stating that the very um, purpose and motivation for the founders of this republic uh, to carve out an independent uh, entity in the 13 colonies was 
because of those unalienable rights, those rights that no human being can ever be deprived of because they are from God, and among these, of course, first of the three listed, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It can be argued that the violation of the absolute right to life of the unborn human baby is directly connected as well to the assault on many other aspects of the liberties that we enjoy as Americans. But aside from that, the rationale of those who wrote and reasoned that um, infamous decision claimed that though there was no right that they were asserting in Roe versus Wade, yet they could find it or they could discern it or they could sort of imagine it, if you will, in a phrase they called the penumbras of the Constitution. And uh, of course, that word penumbra uh, literally means, it's a word rarely used in common language, but it literally means the mists or the vapor uh, in the shadows. In other words, the reasoning behind a decision that for 49 years stood in violating the basic right to life of unborn babies was based on a shadowy or misty or vapor-like idea imposed upon the text of the Constitution. Well, I know it can get very boring to think all about uh, the history of this decision, but for us as believers on this Sanctity of Life Sunday, one of the things that we all share is the journey that God has given us as his children uh, in following the giver of life, that we honor life, that we love life, that we cherish life, that we cherish the little ones, all little ones, just in the same way that we have the example of our Lord and Savior when he said aloud, the little children to come unto me and forbid them not for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And there are many ways to think about the sanctity of life throughout the entire Bible, but the very first two chapters of the book of Genesis give us a, a, an initial view as to why this truth is not just a peripheral truth, but it is the in, integral, it is an integral part of the plan of God, the good plan of God, for all of humanity. So you might note in your own Bible, if you have your Bible wherever you are today and reading in Genesis 2-7, a great place to start, where the Lord God formed man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man, human beings, became living beings. The man became a living soul, the King James Bible says. And then if you go back in your Bible in Genesis chapter 2, go down to that 21st verse, you see that the creation of man, the very design of man, is closely related in the text to the sanctity of marriage, also integrally related to the sanctity of life. Look at verse 21 to 24 in your Bible in Genesis 2, and you notice that it says, The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, 
And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Now, in the, in the, in the grand scheme of all of the design of God for creation, we talked to in these last two weeks about Psalm 19 that, that celebrates and elaborates on the beauty of the cosmos, that um, even in the design of the handiwork of God in the created order, that he's giving us a kind of a wordless message. His majesty, his dignity, the complexity and beauty of all things created as we saw in Psalm 19. And that is just as true and so profoundly true when it comes to the design of the human body. And in this text of Genesis 2, verse 21 to 24, the, the union of, of man and woman in the, in the pure plan of God for marriage to be created as the fulfillment of God's design for companionship, the fulfillment of the, of, of the duality of the meaning of male and female in all of its rich diversity and the ways that male and female characteristics complement one another, the varied personalities and varied temperament types, that beautiful template of male and female, male and female created he them, as it says back in Genesis 1.27 and is repeated here in Genesis 2.24, is demonstrating another aspect of that, we might say, the wordless message, the design of God in creation. And then, of course, embedded within that, is the wondrous truth of the giving of life of the birth of a baby. Maybe the most well-known sanctity of life passage of all time is one I'm sure familiar to all of you. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16. And as you see here, you can track with me a bit uh, as we think about this, that that's the classic passage of Scripture where in, in a very rare kind of poetic manner, the text delves into that mysterious uh, beauty of what happens in the womb as a baby's life is developing. And of course, when you go to Psalm 139, verse 13, uh, bearing in mind that it was penned a thousand years before the birth of Jesus and literally uh, 2,800 or more years before the advent of any kind of scientific capacity for the human eye to see what is described, it makes these passages even far more astounding when you think about it. If you have your Bible open, would you turn there to Psalm 139 and think about it this way, that 13th verse for where the, the psalmist is, is conveying in the terms of a prayer back to Almighty God. For you formed you, O Lord, just as we saw in Psalm 19, the, the wonder of looking at creation and, and, and the, the stars in space and the beauty of all the diversity of, of animal and plant life and natural wonders in our world. Oh, but even how much more so. The, the crowning design of God is humanity. We read it in the 8th Psalm in a different context that God has made man a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put him over the work of his hand. Here in Psalm 139 verse 13, it even delves into the, at that time, in a pre, 
scientific era, a time when it wasn't uh, any way for human beings to see what we can now see with, with uh, such clarity and such vivid accuracy in a sonogram, that this little baby, this little baby is developing within his or her mother's womb. And the sheer wonder of that is conveyed in this poetic language of Psalm 139. Again, read it from your own Bible if you would. I'm reading the ESV. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And friends, I hope if any children are listening at this time in the live stream, this would be a beautiful brief segment for us to pause just a moment to speak aloud the 14th verse from our Bibles in these words or the similar words in the Bible you may be using in your home. Psalm 139, 14. Boys and girls, could we say it? Moms and dads, could we say it? Could we speak this word out aloud here on Sanctity of Life Sunday? Psalm 139, verse 14. I'll say it. Would you say it with me? I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. It occurred to me with the fact that we know that the battle of the lives of the unborn on the political sphere and in the uh, states around the country where various arguments will be, will be fought out about how law will reflect uh, the change from the court's decision. And yet, that can be so distressing to all of us when we realize that our laws, in a state like Maryland certainly, our laws are so far from the protection and the, and the ennobling of, of the individual unborn baby that we must realize as followers of Jesus, what we must never do is surrender in our hearts or even allow the cultural situation to obscure for us the amazing value that every child needs to learn. It doesn't matter what the laws of our state are in this regard. What matters is the law of our king, is the glory of our king. And that we understand how vital it is for children to value and know that every unborn baby in the womb is a priceless gift from Almighty God. The very gift of life is signaled again in that text we saw in Genesis where after God had brought the man and the woman together and described the very reason and the purpose of marriage for this cause. A man shall leave his father and his mother, and they shall cleave, he, they shall cleave together, and those who were two shall be in the eyes of God as one flesh, as a as individual, in, uh, unique individuals, male and female, but holding together a sacred bond that is one in the next chapter in Genesis, the summation of, of what this means for babies is hinted at in this. Amazing statement, and I quote it here on the screen from the Hebrew translation directly. The human called his wife's name Hava, or Eve, life giver. Why? Well, because she became the mother of all living. Now, the text we've seen in Psalms, the text we've seen in Genesis, 
um, corresponds now to, again, we might say, as we often in other topics say, that science slowly, slowly catches up with the Bible, but real science, true science, accurate science, is discovering that which God has designed and made, whether it's in the natural order or in the human body. And this is why so many great scientific and medical discoveries uh, that are made often illuminate a passage of Scripture that, that was there for the ancients, like Psalm 139. And yet now, with sonograms, we can see it so vividly and clearly, the forming of that life. Dr. J. Lejeune, a Parisian uh, specialist on the problem of Down syndrome, about 35 years ago, um, did historic, made historic gains in understanding what had affected the, uh, the chromosomes that a Down syndrome person uh, was affected by in their birth. And in that research, this uh, noted uh, expert on, on uh, the developing of the life, the, the uh, DNA code and the developing of the genetic code of a child, Dr. Lejeune, Dr. Lejeune wrote this, each individual has a very neat beginning at conception. Now here's, Here's a scientific expert dealing in their research with the problem of Down syndrome and researching that issue in order to help patients. And one, he's one of many, many who scientifically arrived at exactly where the Bible places us, and that is that at conception, God has given us this wondrous confirmation of what we read in Psalm 139, and again, need to hear it, need to say it. It needs to be voiced across the land today. Oh, of all things that boys and girls could grow up benefiting from learning and saying and repeating, it would be this wonderful truth. I am fearfully and wonderfully mad. And that's true of the Down syndrome and the children of special needs of all types, as it is of every child. The crises we see in the very psychology of children today that is often being noted is one that should drive us back to the sanctity of life. It's at the sanctity of human life that value, the eternal intrinsic value that God puts on every single baby from the moment of conception that that little one, that little boy or girl, is a priceless creation designed by God's systems and that regardless of the circumstances of his or her conception, the baby should never be punished for the failures of a father or for the extraneous reasons by which many have sought to end the lives of little babies. And it's for this reason that, again, the Bible, in looking at the sanctity of life, not only gives us a window on the sanctity of life through a passage like Psalm 139, as it does so vividly, but it also shows us the sanctity of life as a cause so high 
in the estimation of Almighty God that to protect and preserve the life of the unborn baby is of such a high priority that even other life pattern commitments should yield to that priority. And what I mean by that is this very unusual story in Exodus chapter 1 where the Egyptian pharaoh commanded his sought to destroy the effect of the growth of the Israeli people there in Egypt and he commanded that every midwife among the Israelites would kill the male children. What a horrific decree. Reminds us of Isaiah chapter 10 that says, Woe unto those who decree unrighteous decrees. We saw 50 years ago today, truly, one of the most unrighteous decrees in all of history. And we saw in the summer of 2022 the overturning of that decision. Still a great battleground. But those who have stood for the lives of the unborn are in league with this beautiful example in Exodus 1.17 where the Bible says that the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. But what does it say here in um, Exodus 1.17? It says these midwives saved the male babies alive. And the text tells us that when they were questioned, they, they told the higher authorities in Egypt that the Israelite women were so quick in their, in their, their labor and delivery was moving so rapidly that sometimes they would get there and the baby was already born. Technically, that was a mistruth. Technically, that was a lie. And some have wondered, well, was it right for the midwives to lie? And if there's any question here, not validating lies for no reason, not validating a lie made frivolously, but in the text, the Bible itself tells us that the Lord God blessed the midwives because they feared God and preserved the male babies alive. Clearly, in fact, the text goes on to say, God blessed them immeasurably by giving them households of their own. And the New Testament makes a, an allusion to this in 1 Timothy chapter 2 when it says that, that women are experiencing something from God that is akin to being delivered from peril as they engage in the most vital and most priceless privilege of all human experience to be a mother. Another way to say this is simply to say that Exodus 1.17, 1 Timothy 2, 12 and 13, and similar passages simply show us that the defending of the lives of unborn babies is of high priority in the eyes of God. And why wouldn't it be when we read in Isaiah 49.15 that God himself, God himself, we saw Last Sunday in Psalm 19, the Lord revealing why we need His Word. The law of, the, of Yahweh is perfect, converting the soul. So Yahweh Himself, in Isaiah 49, 15, is describing His own character. Watch this. God comparing His own character, His dependability, His love, 
his favor, the magnitude of what he provides his people, God compares that to the, to the maternal instinct, a woman's instinctive yearning and, and instinctive wiring, so to speak, to protect her little ones. And here's what it says in Psalm, in Isaiah 49, 15. Can a mother forget the baby in her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? The Lord says, of course, the very question uh, suggests how unusual that would be. Not to say that it's never happened. We know there have been some terrible cases of bad mothers, but that's, that's, the, that's the rare exception. And the exception proves the rule. And the purpose of the language of Isaiah 49, 15 is to say it is so basically in the very wiring of, of the maternal desire of every woman to love and nurture and care for her babies that, that it's unthinkable that one would not have compassion on the baby himself or herself. And so the Lord uses it to highlight by way of extreme comparison, though she may forget, oh, the Lord is saying, I will never forget. Now, we can get two great truths out of that. One is that he loves you, and we can rejoice today, wherever you are and wherever you're listening today in this live stream, I pray that you're strengthened by knowing how greatly God loves you. But this text also further, further intensifies this truth of the sanctity of human life of every single, every single baby. So that now we can see in, in, in the, the vast and, and, and so many aspects of sonogram technology, um, these little ones being shaped and formed at different points of their gestation and know what the psalmist saw early and what Isaiah the prophet wrote in these words. And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb. He who formed me in the womb. And then, of course, we remember, as Jeremiah 1.5 says, that God says, before I formed you in, the mother, in your mother's womb, I knew you. Even for God, even the moment of conception is the inception of the beginning of that fetal development, that human person. And yet, um, God is saying, my love for you is so infinitely wise that even, even prior to that, uh, my love was aimed at this little baby. How could we ever, um, how could we ever put it in any other different light than to realize what Dr. Jack Wilkie wrote about 42 years ago. Dr. Jack Wilkie, an expert in OBGYN and a professor of OBGYN, who was a very, very um, uh, articulate leader of, of the medical community's pro-life movement. Dr. Wilkie wrote these words, the tiny human who you once were developed into the adult you are now, but you were totally there at conception. The personhood, in other words, is consistent. Dr. Albert Liley, who is known as the father of fetology, 
one of the great all-time late 20th century experts on fetal development described some of what happens as early in pregnancy in those first six to nine weeks that the, the baby's developments reflect such a wondrous design of Almighty God. Just a, a, a sampling of what Dr. Liley wrote about fetal development. By the beginning of the ninth week, the baby moves spontaneously without being touched. Be, by the beginning of the ninth week in pregnancy, sometimes his whole body swings back and forth for a few moments within the amniotic fluid. But by eight and a half weeks, his eyelids and the palms of the hands become sensitive to touch. If the eyelid is stroked, the child squints. On the stroking of the palm, the fingers close into a small fist. Every child shows a distinct individuality in his behavior by the end of the third month. This is because the actual structure of the muscles of the face, for example, follow an inherited pattern. The facial expressions of the baby in his third month is already similar to the facial expressions of his parents. And then further refinements are noted in the third month. He goes on to the fingernails, uh, different aspects of the child's eyelids and the child's face. And this miraculous and wondrous fact of the developing of these little ones in the womb is in those time periods when, when many state laws allow their lives to be obliterated and wiped out. It is crucial today when the culture is moving in a direction that is so um, anti-life that we become more pro-life in the very best sense of the word. That is, above everything else, instilling in our lives, in our children, in our churches, in every aspect of life that we have any influence over, that uh, whatever the legislative or the judicial world does never changes how God sees the value of the individual. In fact, the Lord put it this way in Isaiah 44, 24. And what a great further reminder of how God sees this. Thus the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself. Years ago when I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, I met Dr. Beverly McMillan briefly at some of the pro-life events that we were a part of in those days. And Dr. Beverly McMillan is one of many who in the OBGYN field had started out as um, active abortion doctors in the, in the 70s particularly. And um, among the various things that this, uh, that this woman spoke about many years ago, when I heard her in person and, and has been quoted in different places, Dr. McMillan explained how drastically and, and just how overwhelmingly um, her life was changed um, after years of being in this grisly and evil business that uh, she came to her senses and understood how vital it was to protect every single unborn baby from the moment of conception. Among the things Dr. McMillan testified to was this, 
She said, my intention is she described a scene that is um, so sad that she dealt with regularly in terms of um, the aftermaths of abortions. She said how her attention was riveted. My attention was so focused on my perceived patient prior to this that I managed to deny that there were in fact two patients involved. I had to wonder how can having a child be so objectionable to some people that they will pay me to end its life. Now, Dr. McMillan, praise the Lord, like many others, Dr. Bernard Nathanson and so many others, came to realize the sheer, the sheer magnitude, the sheer logic, the sheer, the sheer humanity of this fact that every innocent little human baby in the womb is completely vulnerable the most defenseless, the most voiceless. And in looking at their vulnerability, the Word of God shines this light of God's wondrous dignity and the gift of His care and then calls us to be involved in every way we possibly can to model the character he describes here in Psalm 68, where God reveals himself as the father to the fatherless. The baby, the fatherless baby, is not the cause of the problem. The fatherless baby should not be the victim of someone's mistake or error or misunderstanding or change life plans. No, God says in Psalm 68, I am a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families, and that is another part of a, of a robust pro-life vision for followers of the Lord Jesus in all of our lives. And so when we think about these, these truths as far as the... Um, the developing of the life of, of the unborn baby, we can say, we can agree, I think, with um, the leaders of the American Life League who say abortion is the greatest human rights crisis of our generation. And as the battle is joined in other areas, we also know that the overturning of Roe versus Wade um, reminds us that uh, the war is on, but Praise God, we can say in Psalm 144 that the Lord God teaches our hands to fight and our fingers to war. It may be on a very individual and personal level. It may just be on the level of conversation with a friend. It may be on the level of teaching children the beauty of the developing of a baby in the womb. It could be in a thousand and one ways that have nothing to do with the screaming fights out on the streets, but has to do with bringing truth to bear into the hearts of people. And so we can agree with what um, leaders of the National Right to Life Organization have said that the new year 2023 with no row is the year when the FDA has enshrined the explosive expansion of the baby killing pill. There again, um, these battles can't be won by argument. They've got to be won by reaching the hearts of people. 
so the death mongers won't stop until they have state and national legislation enshrining abortion at every stage of human, embryonic, and fetal development. That's their end game. But here's our point. What is ours? Our end game must be in all that we believe, in all that we say, in all that we reflect, especially in enlightening others to the beauty of the gift of life, our, our task is the total protection for all preborn children. Well, I believe that this is um, one of the reasons why in Scripture that the Bible gives us uh, many different ways to um, activate when we find ourselves in a very difficult surrounding. And 1 Peter chapter 3 is a place where I think we can draw a template from verses 10 to 15 of 1 Peter 3, where the entire text is revolved around the love of life. And I take four quick takeaways uh, from this, five quick takeaways, and that is the basic gospel reality is loving life. We miss this sometimes. He that would love life and see good days. Simply being a lover of life is a part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Secondly, we can see in that text to oppose evil with good, uh, not to engage in, um, in personal invective or in, uh, in fruitless fights and arguments, but to always oppose evil, even when evil seems to be on the move, we should always be equipped to speak up against the evil of the destruction of human life. And now we have real science on our side. We should use real science in every way we possibly can to show the simple and obvious logic of the protection of little babies in the womb. Uh, that passage has to do with prayer, too. It calls us to recognize that the, that the ears of God are open to the righteous and his... his uh, his attention is focused upon the prayer of the righteous, but those who pursue evil, the face of the Lord is against their evil. So, verses 11 to 15, we also can have a renewed call to prayer. We should pray for all moms, pray for all pregnancy centers, pray for all who are um, nurturing and raising little ones, and pray for the protection of unborn babies. Never fear the propaganda of death. And a classic verse of 1 Peter 3.15 is always be ready to give an answer. Always be ready to give an answer. In every way we possibly can, we want to be among the people who are committed to making abortion unthinkable. Now, we're closing today after this review of Sanctity of Life Sunday with a film that I hope you'll have time to watch uh, uh, either now or later, just about four minutes, a beautiful summation of this wonderful gift of life that we celebrate, we honor, we cherish, and we pray. The truth of will touch hearts and lives in very powerful ways, especially our boys and girls. And I'm so glad you could be with us today. We're going to share in this video together, reflecting on the gift of life.